Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I am your host for today's episode. I'm a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life and business coaching support. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Counseling and Therapy Services at 301-325-1550. Today, I'm very excited to have on our podcast for season two, episode one, number one, a very special guest, Susan DiLorenzo. Just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Susan, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Susan DiLorenzo. I am a life coach, but first and foremost, I'm a cancer survivor whose marriage fell apart right after cancer was, had ended. And in that moment, Dan, my world was blown apart. I tried to recreate what I used to have. It wasn't there anymore. And I finally figured out that the universe wasn't kicking my butt. It was actually cleaning my house. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, I started to dream big and realized that I was playing small up until that cancer diagnosis, that I really was on the sidelines of my own life. And from there, I said, wow, I only get to be Susan DiLorenzo this one time, and I want to give this person the ride of her life. And from there, I started putting myself at the top of the list and not even... <laughs> where I was just, how can I help you, everybody, <laughs> you know? And from there is when, um, after a job loss, I got interested in what I'd already been doing along the way, which is helping other cancer survivors. And I got into life coaching and then began to focus on people coming out of life-altering adversity. Not only is the poster child who could confirm that there is life after life knocks you down, but that there is a coded way where we don't have to stay in the this happened to me story that you and I can recreate from wherever we are, but it starts with um, a level of belief and guidance. Correct. So not playing victim anymore. That's right. Not seeing ourselves as a victim and also seeing ourselves as something great, a spirit in a body that uh, we we've learned, we've been conditioned, whether it's through families, uh, the people we hang out with, even our schooling system, to think we're minute, mm -hmm. to uh, play in a certain sandbox. <laughs> and from there, you kind of look over at somebody else's playground and go, wow, that looks good. I would love that. Mm -hmm. I wonder how I can get over there. Yeah. And that's where the adventure begins. It's interesting because I'm not sure if this is a case of synchronicity or not, but yesterday I had a podcast with oncologists from Houston. Um, just like your name is Susan DiLorenzo, his name was Lorenzo Cohen. So look at the, the coincidence. Yes, we're in a flow. <laughs> exactly. And he deals with cancer and you're a life coach for cancer survivors. So yes. this, the, the planet were probably aligned for that to happen, um, but it did happen. So I'm very, very glad to have you. Now, what kind of cancer were you diagnosed? Susan? I was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. And I was diagnosed with uh, first, I'll just call it a little cancer in the left breast. And it was just a little blip with a lumpectomy and it was fine. And then on the follow up visit, 
the oncologist asked me, has anybody spoken to you about the lump in your right breast? And that's where the rabbit hole opened up into uh, what ultimately became a mastectomy, uh, chemotherapy, radiation, and, uh, and really being down on my knees thinking, okay, you say you believe in God and you're reading all these spiritual books, but now's the time to really apply what I'll just call faith and belief in something greater than myself and, uh, and possibilities that, you know, when you're a cancer patient, there's a lot of statistics being thrown at you. Like you're in this group and this group can survive this much but you and I aren't statistics. And we have to remind ourselves of that because there are too many amazing stories that people call medical anomalies right. of people who've been in stage four and come back. And what makes them different than the others? Now, do you think I have all the answers to that? I don't. I only know what, um, what worked for me and what I believed and how I got through something that was very stressful while I had an 18 month old uh, little boy and a marriage that was held together very finely, um, but it was all done walking on eggshells on my part. So yes, that um, is the cancer story for me is that was invasive breast cancer. And uh, my mother was a survivor of cancer also the same age and the same breast it was wild that at that point i was diagnosed wow 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 that's that's incredible my mom also had uh, cancer twice for the mm. breast cancer so i can i can just imagine what you had to go through now you've been in remission for how long oh 20 years 20 years okay yes and it's not that i haven't had any scares i've had to go in for mris and you know just what is this lump um you know, b benign or not. And uh, those are the moments where I'd say the fear could come in. I'm, uh, my motto is, until otherwise notified, I'm cured. I don't mess around with um, the word of remission. I see. The, I, I don't, you know, that's, leave that to the medical teams to talk about it in those terms, right? Until otherwise notified, I'm cured. And then I have to take that attitude into potentially an MRI or a certain mammogram that they keep calling me back for films. But I have to say all the way through that has held me um, in a firmness. Like if you were to picture um, heaven above us and this rod coming down through my body and into the ground, grounding me in what I say, I believe that's the best visual I can give for that. And then, you know, I'm still walking the earth in 3D and I still have to deal with the quote unquote facts. But I can take my mind and, and work with the mind as you know so well, Dr. Dan, with what you do. Absolutely. It's like, I mean, so I, I do believe that you do believe in the laws of attraction about the thought becoming things with positive affirmation, thinking positive, but also believing it. Because what I've noticed as well, Susan, is a lot of people have the tendency to always blame the laws of attraction because they think about something, but it doesn't happen. But what they fail to do is actually incorporating the belief and the action. And they fail to do that. So for them, they just think that those laws are erroneous. They don't mean mm -hmm don't bring much of anything, but because they have not invested the time, effort, 
uh, positive thoughts behind everything they were looking for and didn't make it happen. So of course, it's easy to point fingers at everything else that doesn't happen the way you want it to happen just because you cannot admit to yourself that you have failed in that regard. But again, do fail? I mean, failure is just a first attempt in learning, fail, mm-hmm. the acronym. Yes. And a lot yes. of people, they always think of failure as something personal, something that they have to kind of like, I, I, I brought this into myself and it's my fault. And then this is the constant pointing fingers at themselves and the, the, the real. And that, that's a downward spiral from there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a great point about the law of attraction, because it's more than magical thinking. And I think it's not just your wish is my command. It's your level of expectation, your level of esteem, worthiness, and and then doing something in the direction of what it is you say you want, with the idea that whatever it is I'm doing, it's all adding up to my end result, or something better still. Agreed. That, that's actually a very good point, a very good addition to, the, to what I've mentioned. Now, if we can go into the, you said the marriage failed, was it because oh, yeah. of the diagnosis of cancer or there was already an existing problem that occurred before the diagnosis? You know how you hear um, that you marry what you know? Mm-hmm. You're brought up in a certain family and you, and you find the recreation of it in a mate. Well, my mother had depression and it was never treated. And so we were always walking on eggshells. We, lo- you know, we loved her dearly, but it was like you never knew who you were getting from day to day. And so when I met my future mate, it was like, oh, I know how to do this. And, uh, you know, oh, I'm your girl, you know, <laughs> for this one. And so I just continued. Um, that feeling of I've got to make sure this person doesn't get upset, doesn't get, you know, this is going to please them. I'm going to be that person. You know how exhausting that is. (laughs) It's completely, and and it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to ever give yourself such an assignment. And uh, that was my story. And we certainly had our good times too. It wasn't like it was this miserable ride, but it was a very wobbly ride. And uh, so we, um, he was very good about taking me to all the chemo appointments, helping care for my child, you know, together, he really stepped it up and was a great um, level of support to me at the time. We went to a couples counseling group at the cancer center, you know, couples going through cancer. And it was at that time that he remarked during one of our sessions, I don't care if I ever have sex again. And I was going at the time going through chemotherapy combined with radiation. And I just couldn't, I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, I didn't even, you know, what do you mean? I didn't even explore it with him at that point. I just closed down and said, well, I got to focus on what I'm doing here. Keep on my, you know, my highway that I'm on right now. And I'll come back to you later. Well, coming back to it later, was when I was starting to feel better. I was getting more energy. I was getting hair on my head and I was starting to feel a little frisky. Like, yeah, I'm back. You know, where's that guy I married? And um, one night on the couch, we were watching TV and I leaned over and I gave him a kiss and he said, that's enough. Wow. And it was, whoa, you know, like snap out of it, Susan. Things aren't they aren't going to just go right back to normal. And then, of course, I thought about, oh, yeah, he did say that. And uh, I, 
I think I didn't even say much about it that night, but I came back the following night mm. and I said, look, you know, you and I have got to work on our marriage. We've got to get back to a better place. I know we, we've been at a better place in this. And he nodded his head as if he understood. And then he said, actually, I need to live alone. Oh. And I was like, if you could see what my hands are doing now, they're blowing up my head. <laughs> and I said, what about that little boy upstairs sleeping? And he said, I already feel guilty enough. Don't make me feel any more guilty than I do right now. And now the sarcastic part of me wanted to say, oh, sorry. <laughs> but um, I know what he meant. He loved his kid. And that was a hard thing for him to say. At the time, I would not have been that conciliatory. Instead, I ran up to the bathroom and I yelled up to God, do you think I could just have a year off of this drama? Yeah, I would just gone through a, an incredible year of, you know, surgeries and treatment. And now this I was like, you have got to be kidding me, God, you know, you know, is this the and it was really um, I, I sunk into uh, deep despair. But hello, I'd already been through cancer. So part of me knew I was going to be okay. I didn't love it. I didn't like all of this. But there was a part of me that knew I'd been unhappy in this marriage. Um, I was worried about my son, but I started to go, okay, you're getting your health back. You've just got a cancer-free report. You know, there are new possibilities in this. If somebody you're having a difficult time with wants to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, and I started to go, hey, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's okay. And we still had a lot to work out. We did go to a therapist, a marriage counselor, and we had couples counseling, individual counseling. It was a great thing to do. We both, you know, the, the therapist agreed. Yeah, you guys, well, he didn't say you guys are toast, but you get the picture. <laughs> he was in agreement with us. And from there, we did the work on who we wanted to be as a team of parents to this child. And that served us really well going forward. Beautiful. During the counseling that you had at the hospital, and when he did blurt out, um, if I don't have sex again, I'll be fine. Has he had the chance to explain himself why he came up with that statement? Or there was not, he didn't elaborate on it? I want to say, and I'll share another um, really heartbreaking uh, moment that's very related to this was, he was trying to find a way to stay in the home. He couldn't, he, and so he made this deal with me. He wanted to make a deal with me, I'll say. He said, I'll stay with you and I'll be a father to our son, but I won't be a husband to you. And so there again, and, and from there, there was a moment. Well, first of all, I, I responded, you know, I didn't fight for my life to have this for my life. Yeah. I couldn't accept such an offer. And from there, he, I know he desperately didn't want to leave his child and live separately from his child. And so at one point, he came up and held me and kissed me, tried to kiss me passionately, and then pulled away and said, I just can't. So I got a double whammy of not you, <laughs> you, you know, and here I am, Dr. Dan, almost still bald, I'm missing a breast. I'm not in a high self-esteem mode right now. And this guy's saying, not you. <laughs> and it was part of my um, 
greatest fear that I really wasn't good enough, um, that I wasn't beautiful enough. There were, you know, all the things that um, any woman can sometimes feel or, or has been in a household where it's modeled for them. I was put on diets at an early age, like age 13, which sent the message that I was displeasing as I was and that I had to be a certain way to, to be of a certain <laughs> acceptability and beauty. And I think that stayed with me along the way too. Um, so yeah, that was a, you know, twice with that's enough and I just can't for <laughs> uh, moments that really made it clear he was no longer attracted to me. It just was dead. It was dead in his eyes. And um, yeah. That's, wow, that's definitely uh, deep in itself. I have a couple of questions actually related to that. First, uh, you said that um, when you were young, we were put into, into a diet. Yes. Um, did you have any eating uh, disorders? Yes, funny you should ask. Okay. <laughs> You'll answer to that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> was it uh, anorexia? Was it body dysmorphia? Did you deal with body dysmorphia by any chance? No, but I did binge and it was cyclical. It wasn't like I did it every day. All of a sudden, I'd be back on a diet, lose five, 10 pounds, and then go back onto this addiction, really a, an addiction that it felt like I was being swallowed up and I had to just find the food. And as I got older, this stayed with me for 30 years, I'd say from age 14, 15 to age 45 or so. And uh, I would just be at the grocery store and it'd be like, I want to compare it. I'm without being an alcoholic myself, but I believe it's a form of any addiction where you feel you have no control and you're just being pulled in to buy what you need to buy and get home as quick as you can and, and for me, consume it. So it was an awful uh, ride on my uh, strength, my self-esteem. You know, it just made me think, what the heck is wrong with me? Without ever naming myself as somebody who binges, I just thought I got to get myself under control. Um, I did find a way to finally get that monkey off my back. And that was through the emotional freedom technique. I did a 12 week program that was uh, joined with a raw food diet or mostly raw food diet. And then ended with a hypnotist, uh, hypno, hip, how am I trying to say hypnotic session, right? Yeah. And that did the trick. It doesn't mean I've never touched sugar again. I've never binged again. I've never made myself sick and felt like I had a food hangover the next day. Mm -hmm. Have you, I mean, now, how do you deal with your relationship with food at this moment? Is it something that is more um, a friendly uh, relationship, which is you, you look at food as just a means to an end for survival, or do you still have those urges to be able to say, oh, I, I want a cake, I want ice cream, I want cookies, I want this and that. How is your relationship now? Good question. And it's very positive overall. It doesn't mean I don't get like an urge to have a dish of ice cream, but I don't want to eat the entire yeah, half yeah. gallon like I used to, <laughs> you know, um, and I love to cook healthy food. I've always come from a big, you know, I'm half Italian, my dad's first generation American, and we all love to cook and, and eat in my family, but I love making green smoothies. I love creative foods uh, with salads and vegan this doesn't mean I never eat other foods that aren't as great for me, but that's my focus. So when I do have something else, I don't feel guilty about it. I enjoy it and I move on to my next, you know, it's the big picture I want to look at for my life. And, and that looks really good. I, I'm married to a man who's very health-minded. He's a big tennis player. 
he's um, he, he's been a great partner for me in that respect because I it just keeps encouraging me along the way that he eats and you know we we have fun ordering out together at restaurants he'll you know we're like a team okay you order that and I'll order this and then we're going to share it and what should we share for dessert you know so we are like a team of fun food eaters. Um, now would you say uh, Suzanne that uh, your first husband played a role of a savior during the time that you were going through cancer. Do you feel that that was his role? That's why he was very supportive at that given time. But after when you were cured, he felt that his role was lost because now you don't need him anymore. So do you think he had to create this kind of detachment from you because he didn't want to feel rejected? That's a very good question. And it wouldn't apply to my story because I learned, oh my gosh, Dr. Dan, this is another great story. <laughs> All right. So here we go on how I know that that's not the case. Um, we were separated and I um, was going into our local bank to make a deposit in my name. My married name is still on the check. And they say, are you related to so-and-so? Oh, I th didn't he do this? I'm like, yes, yes, that's it. Oh, we're getting a divorce. The teller says, well, in that case, I guess I can tell you that he broke up my husband's first marriage. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Um, so uh, I, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I have to, I'm, he never, you know, I didn't know anything. But it was while, um, you know, I had a, a baby and he was unhappy. I mean, that's what happens. People get unhappy and they don't confront it. And, and then I went and got cancer. He was probably pretty ready to tell me that he'd had enough. And then I had to go and get cancer and that kind of kibosh things, I think. And, um, and then he is my friend. He is to this day, my friend, I'll tell you right now. Um, we were always that. And so he was actually very happy for me when, after we separated, I did meet somebody, um, and had a wonderful relationship. And he was genuinely happy for me. He knew I deserved that, even if he wasn't the guy to give me that or to be that for me, I as I wasn't for him. Okay. Uh, that's my story, though. I found out through the bank teller. And, and wow. then she wanted to tell me more the next time. And my sister said, Susan, for God's sake, use the ATM. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go to the bank, feel depressed after when you leave. I'm <laughs> like, I just want to deposit a check. That's all. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, now, as a role, as a career, as a life coach, um, how do you, because everyone has a different story, Susan, obviously it's very unique. It's very inspiring for the many listeners out the, on the podcast. But um, how do you customize your assistance or your help towards other people that are going through cancer either them going through also a failed marriage or a failed relationship or them, you know, negative thinking, et cetera. Um, how do you adapt? Well, first it begins with listening, right? And you get a real feel for the person. It's easy though to, uh, once they're talking about what's not working in their life, what is it that um, if they could wave a magic wand, what would be different for them? That's a place to start. But in terms of it really, the, I call adversity your special delivery system. The, each of us has a delivery system to awareness, Dr. Dan. Cancer was it for me. It could be divorce. It could be job loss. It could be bankruptcy. There's something bubbling in the background that uh, blows it up. 
And for me, it was low self-esteem, eating sugar. That's terrible for cancer. I mean, there's so many uh, things we can talk about that you're brewing something that it's going to blow up if you, there were voices all along saying I was in a bad marriage. There were voices all along telling me I was unhappy in certain parts of my life. I said, go away. I signed up for the job, marriage, and new house program, and that doesn't fit the build, right? And so many of us don't want to listen to what we truly know, and then our lives blow up. And that's the opportunity to say, wake up, wake up, Susan, right? Wake up. This is your moment. You don't have to crawl back in and try to recreate another marriage that looked just like this one, um, whatever it is for you. These moments are gold. I'm actually uh, finishing a manuscript called Pulling the Gems from Adversity, because among the muck and the mud are these shining gems of awareness, wisdom, and insight. They don't come right away. You have this adversity, and it's not like, oh, I get it. I had low self-esteem. No, these things bubble up over time. We need to heal. We need to take care of things. We need to, first of all, love on ourselves a lot. No beating ourselves up for what happened and just say, okay, this happened and I, where do I go from here? And it's got to start with giving ourselves the love and support we need. For me, it was going after a therapist. And then the best time to cancel, excuse me, to, to um, hire a life coach is when you have a little space and you're starting to see that things are bubbling up for you. Because that's when you, we're going to ask you some questions that are going to really help you along the way to, to get a little roadmap to where you'd like to go. And we're going to hold you accountable and give you the toolbox. Correct. Yes, that's a good one. Actually, a lot of people ask me, then how do you differentiate between therapist and life coach? So I always tell them one thing is that the, the therapist will always go into the past to figure out what has been lingering for so long and never been resolved. Right. The, the coach is someone who's more mindful, living on the day, and they will only give you the tools for you to start taking action for yourself versus finding solution for you. So it, it has, you know, I, I wear both hats for both yes. therapist and coach. So depending on what the, the, the client or patient want, I just adapt myself, but sometimes it's, they mix and match somehow, somewhere, we need to figure out, figure out, even as a coach, you need to figure out about the past of that person, but not stay there for too long. For me, when I go in the past, I've got to dig and I've got to dig deep to really understand what the person is going through. So that's the difference. You stay very short time into the past and you focus on the present. I stay longer into the past to better understand the present. That's right. And it's a beautiful combination. And I'll say, I didn't even know the word codependent until I went to a therapist and said, oh, I've heard that word, but that's me, really? <laughs> so um, yes, it's true. And I do work with clients who are um, also working with therapists at the same time, and we make a great tag team. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you mentioned something in the beginning where your mom was going through depression, and because you were so familiar with this kind of environment. This is how, when you met your first husband, this is how you kind of like understood him. And you said, oh, I could manage that. I could deal with that. So would you say that he was going through depression as well? Like severe yes. depression? That yes. That it was a common environment that you lived most of your teenage life? Yes, very much so. And uh, it, it, it's something where I encourage my mother to get help. Uh, I knew that would help her. She never did. And it, it was the same story. Um, 
as far as I know, he could have gone on to do this, of course, in all the years that we haven't been together. Um, but yes, that is, and it's an, it's an unconscious move. It's not like Eureka, I found this person. Uh, yeah, but it is, um, it, it was this recognition of I'm in a pattern and this fits the pattern. I see. It's more being familiar with that pattern because yeah. you knew that you were dealing with your mom for so long and it was okay with you. So, and this is what people also, when we see women uh, attracted to a father figure, they mm. They will be with that person. And then if they do break up, they're going to look for someone very similar. So they, even though they know it is a toxic relationship, they will continue doing the same thing because they're familiar with it. And that they have the tendency because they say that, well, I was able to manage the relationship before I could manage this one. No, you didn't manage the one because you broke up. So there's something, a missing element that pushed you to not really continuing or, or, you know, being with the relationship with that person. So there's always some kind of like, distortion of a reality that right. most people fail to understand because they I think you, you cannot really look at your relationship from the outside because you live that relationship it's only someone that is unbiased they'll be able to look at it with different perspective and this is why the help of a therapist or a coach is really crucial is yeah. they can make you look at it in a different pair of eyes and this also becomes a distortion of ourselves we never really get to be authentic to the spirit inside of us. We're playing a role all the time. And that's where I went back to say, wow, that's exhausting. The freedom I have felt over the last 20 years, well, I'll say less than 20, because it took me some time to get it. But um, the freedom, the freedom to be me, not worry what other people think, not worry that I'm going to get it, you know, or get, you know, yelled at for something I'm saying or, or disapproved of. It's freedom. And you attract your authentic tribe, not the people you're trying to please anymore, but the people that are happy with you just the way you are and want more of that. That is, well, that is actually a very good point. Now, um, how can people contact you, uh, Susan, with your coaching services? Yes. Easy enough is Susan at SusanDiLorenzo.com. And I'll just spell the <laughs> Susan DiLorenzo, S-U-S-A-N-D-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-O. Or you can head to my website, SusanDiLorenzo.com. You can message me there or on my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash dream coach Susan. And Instagram or uh, anything like that? Uh, LinkedIn also. But I'd say the three I'll see the most are the first I mentioned. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really do appreciate you, Susan, for taking the time out of your very you. schedule that you're taking to save other people to be able to join us. Thank <laughs> and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you have all enjoyed today's episode. I'm very excited about season two of the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you've listened to today. Now, here are a few concluding words of wisdom. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So always make sure that they feel great after you've said to them. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalai, and you all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.